We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are back, everybody. Welcome back to Notre Dame's Defensive Day Conversation. We're going to talk some defense today, Ryan. This is obviously the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That is Ryan Roberts. I am Brian Driscoll. And I'm going to talk some football today. There's a lot of recruiting stuff always going on. And, man, I, I keep saying this. I'm ready to talk some football. And, there, and today, Ryan, I think is a, is a good day to talk about the Notre Dame defense. We're sitting there. Tuesday, October 9th, we're a month from now. We're going to be the Friday before the home opener. You're going to be in town. I'm going to be in town getting ready to watch Notre Dame kick off their home slate. And we'll have we'll know by then kind of what happened against Ohio State in the opener on Saturday. And as you kind of think about how that game is going to play out, the reality is, is a lot of it is going to have to do with the Notre Dame defense. And the Notre Dame offense in that game could play really well and Notre Dame still lose. And the reason for that is, is because, as we have said a, a, long, a lot of different times, when you play the best teams, they're going to be able to score. And if you're a good defense, you're going to be able to keep the points down, but you have to be an elite defense to really get things rolling. So we are going to talk about the Notre Dame defense and just how good it can be this year. And the reality is, in order for this defense to, for this football team to reach its full potential, the offense has to play better. But the defense still has to be dominant. And it has been the unit that has carried this football team for several years now, Ryan. And a lot of the success mm-hmm. we've seen in recent years has been become because of the defense. But there's another level this defense can and needs to get to. And if that's going to happen, and it happened in the biggest games, USC at the end, Clemson in the middle, and Notre Dame or Ohio State at the beginning, this defense is going to have to raise its level of play. For that to happen, it needs its stars to play like stars. And Notre Dame has had stars on defense every year for the last several years. But the best defense they've had in the last 10 years, in my opinion, was the 2018 defense. And the difference between that defense and the ones that followed is it had more star power. You right. look at Jerry Tillery, where you could, and each week there was a different defensive lineman playing like that, whether it was 
Khalid Kareem one week and Julian Aquara another week and Julian Aquara a lot of weeks that season. Dalen Hayes stepped up and had some moments. You had star, you know, Drew Tranquil, I thought, played like a star linebacker that season. Yeah, Julian Love on the outside as a cornerback. And I would I would argue although he Gilman played like one of the best safeties in the country that year. Troy Pride at the end of the year was better than Julian Love was. And so to me, the more players that have that potential that reach that level this season, the better this defense is going to be. And if Notre Dame is going to make a run at a championship, which is going to have to include, you know, wins over the teams they play in the regular season, Ohio State, Clemson. USC, BYU, this defense has to be great, and those stars have to play like stars, and it gets no bigger, brighter moment for this group than the opener against Ohio State. Well, I feel like when we were talking about the offensive star power yesterday, it's like there's a couple extreme known commodities, and then there's a few guys that like Notre Dame needs to break out and be that type of star. I feel like Notre Dame defense, we have a lot more known commodities, right? Like there's a lot more guys right now that you're willing to say, that kid is a star because I've seen it, right? Like we'll get into Foskey and Brandon Joseph and all these guys today. And we have seen star potential already to this point, but it creates a different kind of vibe for me, Brian, because it's like you have such high expectations for this, for this defensive unit because there's such a higher floor, maybe comparative to the offense that now you're kind of setting yourself up for a, I hope I don't get disappointed here. Right. Cause right. like you're, you're counting on it that these guys right. are going to be stars and there is a level up, I think, for every one of the players to be even better. But I, I think when you have a known commodity like this, you just have to at least hit that that point, right? right? Because if they are all just as good as last year, like I said before, you're going to have a really good defense. True. But the separation factor is going to be if they play like stars right. from day one, September 3rd through the remainder of the season, then we're talking about a very good defense that could potentially be on an elite level. That's right. what I consider this this point here. This is why the stars are so important for the defense this season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I don't think the defense has been on that level for the most part. I think at times in 2018 it was. 
I think especially by the, you know, by towards the end of the season, I think they played about it. They played Clemson about as well as anybody could play Clemson when they were healthy. The depth wasn't there, which is a, an issue that we've talked about before. But if you're going to beat Ohio State in the opener, if you're going to if you're going to have a chance in the fourth quarter to win that game, your defense is going to have to play like an elite defense. If you're going to beat Alabama in the postseason to stop Bryce Young, your defense is going to have to play at an elite level. And that's true when you look at a lot of the big time matchups. And and while Notre Dame's defense has certainly had them in competition, the only game where the defense really was able to shut down another elite team is when they played Georgia. And those Georgia offenses were never very that good. They handled their business and did what they needed to do. And in both games, the defense gave the team a chance to win in the fourth quarter and the offense couldn't get the job done. But there's another level this unit has to get to. And there's a lot of different things that need to happen. And we've talked about a lot of them. You know, breakout players need to emerge. You know, you need Riley Mills to step up. Somebody's got to step up opposite Cam Hard and all those type of things. But at the end of the day, if your best players don't play their best in the biggest games, you're just not going to have a chance to win. And it's like we said yesterday. And when we talk about, you know, start of the season to finish, it doesn't mean that Isaiah Foskey has to go out and get three sacks every single game. They don't need him to have a, a monster game to beat Marshall, you know, to beat Cal, to beat stand you know Syracuse do you you don't you don't want him to play bad but you that's just the it, it's not practical to to think that a guy's gonna go out there and get two sacks in every game that he plays in it's about being consistently good and then really raising your level of play when it matters most I think that's what the great players do and I think it has to start up front and the way that we're going to discuss this is obviously Isaiah Foskey is part of this conversation, but but you and I have had a lot of conversations about Jason Adamiola, and yep. and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Foskey. Let you ha- talk about Adamiola because I've talked about him, Jason, a ton over the years, and I know you're pretty fired up about him today. But mm-hmm. at the end of the just kind of big picture, Ryan, just from a unit as a whole, the reason we throw both of them in there is because Isaiah is the proven star. Jason is the ascending one in our view. They need both of them to really be this way because you're going to need that inside out presence this season to where, yeah, you can't just take Isaiah Foskey out of the game and somebody else has to step up. And to me, Jason is the player that has the experience, the talent, the athleticism, the, the mindset to be that guy. And he showed flashes of it last year. This year, he has to continue that in the big games, but even bring more consistency. But this duo has to be dominant because yeah. all the other positions, you know, Riley Mills, not all their lives are made easier if this duo steps up and plays at an elite level this season, especially in the big games. And it, it so it has to start with Isaiah Foskey and Jason Adamiola. I, I think it's said perfectly because the, the key thing that you said there that I could not agree with more is that we expect Riley Mills to also be a breakout player this year, you know, but budding star potentially in the future. But if, if Riley Mills does not hit his ceiling this year, he still has more eligibility, right? Like this isn't like the end all last chance type of situation for Jason Adam Malola, who we saw incredible flashes of last year. This is his final year. And the experience factor is the biggest thing for me because everyone and their mother offensively is going to say number seven, Nope, not gonna not gonna stop us. We'll run away from them. We're gonna keep tight ends in the chip. We're gonna keep you know uh, slide protection to his side. We're gonna make sure that Isaiah Foskey is not the game wrecker. How do you stop that from being the game plan? Have another player to step up and be the guy, right? And I think that can be Jason Malola because I mean Brian, we saw it two years ago, even when he was just a 
part-time player with Alabama, right? Like he dominated that football game. And I think that you kind of got a little, again, a little of a sample size of just how dominant he can be. And then last year, I mean, he put on a given game and you'll get three to four flashes a game of like, I think of the USC game again, where yeah. like he's just long arm in the right tackle and, and finishing a sack on the first play of the game. Right. Like those moments happened a lot last year, but it wasn't on like a snap to snap drive to drive basis. If it is, I would contend that Jason Adam Malola could be the most, I mean, he's already the most underrated defensive tackle in college football, in my opinion. But I think mm-hmm. that he could be a riser in the national perspective because nobody gives him the recognition right now. Right. It's all Isaiah Foskey, even though there were flashes last year where Jason Adamalola was one of the better defensive tackles in college football. Right. That's what the best of him is. And if they're able to get that, if he's able to get the, create that type of production right. and to get that type of attention, and that's only going to make Isaiah Foskey even better. Isaiah Foskey even better because he's going to have right. one-on-one opportunities in that right. situation. Now, keep in mind that Jason had about about 80 more pass rushes than Isaiah did last year because they weren't dropping him into coverage. But Isaiah Foskey did not lead the defense in, in pressures last season, according to Pro Football Focus. Jason did. He had 43. He had 13 hits on the quarterback. Isaiah had 15. That's really good production from an interior guy. And is there a level that he needs to get to? Yeah. Well, Consider this, the year that Jerry Tillery was an All-American, he had 49 pressures that season on 413 pass rushes, and he had 15 hits on the quarterback. 413 pass rushes, 49 pressures. Jason Adamiola last year had 43 pass pressures on 369 pass rushes and 13 hits on the quarterback. And Jerry Tillery was an All-American that season and turned himself into a first-round draft pick. So, you know, when, when when you look at the production, the production has been there. And I think that is something that when I look at it, it's he has a chance to be a really special player. And he's got some areas of his game that I think have to continue to get better. But here's another part of it. I would argue that he was an all around. He was a better all around player last season than Jerry Tillery was in 2018. And again, I just showed the pass rush numbers, which were very, very similar. Jerry Tillery in 2018 during his All-American season had 20 run stops, according to Pro Football Focus. Jason last year had 29. Yeah. And and so, you know, and, and he did that on 223 uh, defensive plays against the run. Jerry had 251. So Jason had fewer pass rushes attempts, fewer run play attempts, and was significantly more productive in the run game. And on a personnel basis, right there with Jerry Tillery on a pass rush standpoint and he gets none of the love that Jason had that Jerry had. And here's the reason why, what was the one game we can all point to when you look at Jerry Tillery in 2018, Stanford. it was the, and it was two top 10 teams. Now Stanford ended up not being that good, but at the time when, when, when pollsters and voters and fans and media people are watching that game, it was number six versus number seven. Yep. I believe it was six or seven or seven verse eight. It was something like that. It was a highly ranked game. Mm-hmm. Jerry went out there and dominated, had like three or four sacks in that game, just dominated Stanford and Notre Dame rolls. It was a night game. It was a top 10 matchups and Jerry was at his best. And to me, that's got to be Jason this year because what Jerry did that year is he didn't actually have as many, to me, Im- impactful pressures. But when he got to the quarterback, the quarterback went down. Finished. Yeah. And and Jason was more, I would argue, a little bit more disruptive last year than Jerry was, but Jason's got to finish better this year. And that's the big thing. And I think that's the thing that that 
hurts his reputation. Number one, there's a stigma about his size. Oh, he's only six, two and a half. He's only 280 pounds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he's got to finish better because the numbers don't flash at you. It was like seven tackles for loss last year, three and a half sacks. Those don't, to me, do justice, just how disruptive he was last year. But that's because he's got to finish better. And if he can finish better, then the numbers will be there and people will start to give him the respect that his game is due because he's a really disruptive player. And if him and Foskey are – and here's the other thing about last year. It didn't seem like there was a lot of times where they were both dominant in the same game. That's fair. And, you know, they were both good usually. I I can't think of a game last year that Jason wasn't at least good. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of a game last year where Isaiah wasn't at least good. And – you know, for what he would could do and, you know, defense offenses or, you know, game planning for him, whatever, but they at least played good football every game. What we didn't see a lot of, I think maybe, maybe USC, but even then it was a little bit flashy. There were flashy plays from both of them. There weren't a lot of games last year where I thought both of them just like, wow, these two are dominant in the same game. And maybe there's one. And I'll like, remember when we get off the show, like, Oh, Hey, remember that one game, but it just didn't seem that way to me. And I think that's going to be the thing that we need to see this year. And, and why we're putting them together is they both have to be that dude. If Isaiah has a great game against Ohio State and the rest of the D-line doesn't, they're not going to be able to stop Ohio State. If sure. Jason has a great game against Ohio State and the rest of the defensive line doesn't, then they're not going to be able to get there. And I think the Alabama game that you point to is a perfect example. I thought the Notre Dame defensive line held their own against Alabama. They really mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. The, the problem was is none of them played to Jason's level. No, nobody else played to Jason's level. And that's got to change. And, and that's going to be the key to me is against Ohio State, it's got to be Jason and Isaiah. Against Clemson, it's got to be Jason and Isaiah. Against USC, Alabama, whoever else you play that's got sort of a high-octane offense, they need both. They need to both play well. And I think it starts there. If they play well, then it makes everything else easier on the rest of the D-line and then especially on the second and third level players and on the perimeter players. Something that I also think hurts, and you, uh, Jason Adamalola, and you mentioned it already a little bit, Brian, is – I think the film guys really appreciate Jason Adamalola because of the things that he does and the, the production, the production that's a little hidden in his tape, right? The, the, the havoc that he causes and the penetration and it's easy to see on film, but then the analytics guys, and I'm not trying to throw shade at analytics because I use some analytics, but they're going to look at the box score. They're going to look at the height weight and they're going to be like, man, he's just a solid player, right? Like he's not a great football player. But when you watch the film, it's a much, much different story, in my opinion. And I agree with you. People have asked me a lot this offseason, how can Isaiah Foskey go from a potential first-round pick to a top-ten pick, playing big in those big games, right? right? The one thing you'll give to Aiden Hutchinson, although Ohio State's offensive line was not good, there was perception there, right? right? He played a had a good game in a big moment, and that is a part of the reason why mm-hmm. Aiden Hutchinson Boyd up to number one, number two overall pick, aside of just having the production he had, right? So those big moments, I think, are paramount for right. this duo to be what they can be this year. It's not about, oh, he played against a really good offensive line that game. It's about the moment. And I think that's the, the thing about the, the comparison to Aiden Hutchinson is Ohio State's offensive line wasn't great last year, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't like Virginia's offensive line or something like I mean, it was a solid offensive line, a little overrated, but still good. I think for the most part, and he dominated it, but it was more of the game was big. The moment was big. It was an offense that could go out there and score. And the only way you could stop him from scoring was to disrupt the quarterback. And that was a key 
for that game. And and, and it was really the same thing for Oregon. Is, is Ohio State got their yards against Oregon, but they were disruptive up front. And they didn't even play to the level that Michigan's defensive line played in that game. And and so you look at it, it, it there's going to have to be the consistent production from the front in that game. And it, it, it has to be Jason and Isaiah together. It doesn't mean they're going to both get to the quarterback on every single play. That, right. that, that you know, that's not going to happen. It's just about both of them playing at a high level in that game and, and against the run and the pass, because I think that's a, that's a part of Jason's game to me that is very underrated. Okay. I don't, I think, you know, a lot of people focus on Jason's pass rush because that there's the assumption because of size, the measurables, you know, that, oh, he's athletic and he's really good at block destruction and he's, he's, he's undersized. So, you know, pass rusher, pass rusher. <laughs> but what you don't what you don't often understand is Jason's been a really disruptive run defender for most of his career. And there's been at least two seasons that I can remember where if you look at the run stop percentage on a kind of a per play basis, Jason is graded out as Notre Dame's best run defender. And he's he's you know, again, last year he I think Isaiah Foskey led the defense with 35 run stops. Jason was next with 29 as an interior guy. And and they were pretty equal on on the on, you know on the um, you know the 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 snap standpoint on both. So Isaiah at times was great against the run, mm-hmm. and other times his technique would lag. Again, first year in starting lineup. I think that's another thing is for for as maybe inconsistent maybe at times as he was with his technique or angles or leverage or whatever in the run game, he was still really productive against it, effective against the run. Sure. Now that he's in year two, I think that's the part of his game that that maybe doesn't get the sexy, you know, discussion because he's an edge player. It's going to be about the sacks, the sacks, the sacks. He's got a chance to break the sack record and all that. But if he's going to really be dominant, the first thing he can do against Ohio State is make sure there's no way Travion Henderson's running on this side of the field. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that goes into being a great player because if you have a great game against Ohio State in the past, you're going to have two sacks, right? well, they're going to throw the ball 40 plus times. That's fine. But what are you doing those other plays when you're not getting a sack? Are you getting a pass rush? Are you making the quarterback uncomfortable? What about, are you forcing them to pass the ball more by stopping the run, setting the edge, making them right-handed or, you know, just kind of opposite handed. Hey, you can't run at me, you know? So, cause the, the reason that's important is because they're going to put numbers at Isaiah for the, to protect against the pass. If they can, but then they're going to use that to run at him. That's another way to stop a great pass rusher is to run at him. They're going to run at him. He needs to make him pay for that. Right. And those are ways where early in the game, him and Jason being on the same side of the field, if they can shut down that run defense, you know, that run, run game in Ohio State and make them have to kind of go opposite, well, then Al Gold's going to have answers for that too. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that it won't get as much attention because it's not the sexy aspect of the game. Like, sacks and pass rushes but it's going to be every bit as important if not a little bit more so against teams like Ohio State and Alabama Clemson than even the pass rush because that's something you can do every single snap and you know so so again this duo has to be really good against that if they're gonna if they're gonna come out this year and and really play like stars and and carry this defense to the next level I I think the most exciting part about Isaiah Foskey in my opinion is that he's nowhere near a finished product, right? Mm-hmm. Like from a technical perspective. Based on what we saw last year, right? Yeah. Based upon last year, 
he wins right now with being super long and explosive. But, like, there's not a ton of moves in the arsenal. His technique is not perfect from a snap-to-snap basis. This is still a pretty raw football player, at least from last season, which tells me, buddy, you just had 10 or 11 sacks as a raw football player just off of talent. Yeah, two moves. Imagine when it clicks. In the long arm. That's it. That's all he had. he gets a cross chop in his arsenal. He gets an inside counter. And then, right. like, how do you stop Isaiah Foskey at that point? You, you can't. can't. Even even when you're double teaming him sometimes, it's just going to be like, I still can't stop him. He's just going to be able to slip through because he's so long and he's so explosive. So that's why I have such a high expectation of Isaiah Foskey. It's because people, I think, are just, like, assuming last year is the version of Isaiah Foskey. In my mind, I think he's going to be much better. Like, I think that he has yeah. a chance to be – one of the best defensive ends that have come through Notre Dame in some time. Like I think he has mm-hmm. that type of upside to him. If he does, if he hasn't already kind of pushed his way into that conversation, just based on his raw traits. So I'm excited about that one, Brian. And I'll also say for Jason, I think that Jason has a great opportunity to go from underappreciated to appreciated very quickly. And that starts mm-hmm. with Ohio state. And a big thing for me, we've talked about this a little bit before I think if Notre Dame, in order to get pressure, especially in that first game, and I know we'll go more in depth of Ohio State leading up to the game, but especially in that game where I think if you are if you have to bring five or sometimes even six to get pressure on C.J. Stroud, I think that that is not a good thing. No. That is very telling he, that your dudes, your, exactly, your dudes are not getting home, right? For them to be super successful in that game, if they need to get home with four, like they need to, and for them to get home with four consistently – you need those two to be the the guys. Right. And to your point to begin with, though, I think Ohio State is going to try to run the football on you mm-hmm. because they have Trayvon Henderson, and I think they understood that they did not run the ball to, to as good as they probably could have last year, at least the emphasis upon it. So mm-hmm. I think they're going to try that. And for that to ha- for the, Notre Dame to get them into the inopportune possessions of second and nine, third and eight, whatever it might be, you need to be able to stop the run. And I think that they also present that type of upside. But I am just really excited because I don't think we've seen the best of Isaiah Foskey. And I don't think we've seen the finishing of potential that Jason Adam Alola has. If both those guys put it together, this could threaten to be in one of the top defensive lines of college football. I mean, it's going to be hard to beat like a Clemson, for instance. But why can't Notre Dame finish with the second or third best defensive line in college football next year? I don't right. see any reason that that's not possible. Right. I want to kind of harken back a little bit to the run game aspect of it too, Ryan, because I, I do think that it's not just the it's not just the pass game that it needs to be impacted by the front four alone. It needs to be the run game as well. And I think that's something that was lacking in several years. Like Jerry Tillery, great pass rusher, not a great run defender. And there's reasons for it. He's really tall. You know, he you know, leverage was a little bit more challenging for him at times and things along those lines. And you know, there's other reasons for it, but you know, you look at the you look at the production that 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 Jerry Tillery had last year, or excuse me, that that Isaiah Foskey had last year. It really was kind of spectacular if you if you really want to break it down and look at the numbers. And and for example, do you remember the year that Raquan Davis had that monster season at Alabama? It yep. was uh, I think 2017 year they won was the that title. It, was that it? Wasn't that his sophomore year? And then he just wasn't just as productive. Fell off the, last the cliff. Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, he led the Alabama defense that year with thirty-five run stops. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame's best. So, and again, what we've said about Pro Football Focus: terrible grades, terrible analysis, great data collection, in my opinion. 100%. But the the you look at Notre Dame's run defense from its defensive lines. 
Isaiah or Isaiah Isaac Rochelle has the most run stops that a Notre Dame defensive lineman has had in this era is the 37. The next highest was Julian Aquar with 26. Now Isaiah Isaac Isaac Rochelle had 37 run stops on 399 run defensive plays. Last year, Isaiah Foskey played in 210 run stop run snaps. 210. So that's 189 fewer than Isaac Rochelle. He had 35 run stops last year, which is a really outstanding number. And, and he led the Notre Dame defense. You don't often see defensive linemen leading defenses and run stops. It's normally linebackers. And, and so I think that's the thing is, again, Ryan, there was a lot of things technically about his game against the run that need to get better. Sure. But what helped him last year was he was just so much better and more talented than everybody he played against last year. And so that's the key for him is the competition is going to be up to this year. There's to me better lines and better offenses on the schedule this year and and also better quarterback play on the schedule this year. And so he can't just repeat last year's season and carry the defense the way he needs to, right? If he mm-hmm. if he just repeats last year's season and Jason and Cam and Brandon and those guys repeat last year's season, Notre Dame's going to still be really good on defense, and they're yep. going to be a 10- or 11-win team. But at the end of the day, in the big game, the Ohio State game, the postseason game, it's going to be more of the same. Good, but just not good enough. He needs to take his game to another level. And I would like to see his production up a little bit more from a tackles-for-loss standpoint. I'm actually okay if his sacks don't get any higher. I mean, look, he gets 10 sacks this year. I'm a happy guy. Sure. I would just like to, you know, last year he was like, what, 11 sacks, and I think it was like 12 and a half tackles for loss or 12 tackles for loss. He was really good at setting the edge and making plays at the line and, and things along those lines. But I want to see him be even more disruptive in the backfield or to the point where maybe you are so like, God, we just can't block this guy, that you then force teams to run right at Riley Mills. I mean, that's a win for Notre Dame if you're forcing people to run at Riley Mills. Number one, there's going to be more guys on that side of the field. It's not going to just be Riley Mills. But number two is, yeah, force teams to run at your 293-pound defensive end. Yes. It's a good strategy (laughs) if you're Notre Dame, right? And so, you know, those are the things where if he can be that kind of player, because I think teams definitely game planned against Isaiah last year as we went into the season and people quickly found out that, yeah, you got to block that guy. I don't I don't remember noticing a lot of teams focusing their game their run game away from Isaiah Foskey. And I think they ended up paying for that a little bit because I think he's pretty good against the run. And when Notre Dame's run defense was really good in late October, November. And the only success teams could really have on him was was quarterback scrambles. Like right. like North Carolina had one of the most misleading two hundred some rush yards I've seen because a lot of, it had like one long run on a on a miss on an outside run and then the rest was quarterback scrambles. Other than that, North Carolina couldn't really do anything in the run game against Notre Dame. And and we saw a similar thing against, you know, against Oklahoma State is that, you know, stats were padded by some scrambles. That's got to improve. But if you can force teams to just kind of game plan away from you, no matter what they're doing, it's so advantageous for the defense. And that's an area where his his production can kind of get upped and improved this season. And that's something that you really want to see from him. And the same thing is true for Jason Adamiola, right? And, and a lot of times those two are going to be on the same side of the field. And that's yes. what makes it even more important. If, if they're playing so well on the front side of runs that the other teams are like, all right, we got to run away from seven and 57. That also plays into your, to your result too, Brian, because both those guys can work in pursuit, man. Like they are mm-hmm. really good athletes, like explosive in a line. Right. So 
it's 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 one of those things where the best of Isaiah Foskey, in my opinion, whether it's on the front side or the back side of runs, he can make plays because right. he's got that quite of athleticism. And Jason Adamalola is the same. There is a perception, I think, that Jason Adamalola is not a good run defender, to your point earlier. But I think that, that the 280 or whatever his list is, I saw him at like 276 in the spring or whatever it was, like – it's so misleading, man, because right. finding many defensive tackles in college football that have heavier hands than Jason Adam right. Like he shocks dudes at the point of attack. So yes, get them to run away from you and then use your athleticism to work in support and in, in uh from the from uh in a pursuit perspective. And then your tackle for loss numbers, to your point, that's gonna only improve if you're working in pursuit right. of time. And let's say a Riley Mills is holding the point on the other side of the line of scrimmage. So this is a going to be an interesting conversation to, to just start with, especially in the run game perspective, because I agree the best way to stop a premier premier pass rusher is to run at him, right. To, to kind of slow him down in the, in the tracks a little bit, but eventually if you're able to really dominate the run game, then that is just going to open up so many possibilities working in pursuits, working, you know, just kind of the control the line of scrimmage in your favor, I think the upside is tremendous with those guys. And that's only giving credit, obviously, to how great those players are. It's also early on going to unlock guys like Riley Mills and Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey because there's going to be a lot of advantageous situations for those guys. But the key for this defense line to be best possible is that you're good across the board. So now you also can't set your sights just fully on number seven. That's Mm -hmm. where the peak of this defensive line can be when guys across the board or taking pressure off one of each other. Right. Let's move on to the back end, because I think that's kind of where it starts when we talk about the the stars, so to speak, of this football team, especially the established ones. There's not an established star linebacker, so we're going to kind of round things out with linebacker. I do believe Notre Dame has an established star in the back end, and that is obviously Brandon Joseph. I mean, you're talking about a kid who's got a consensus All-American. I mean, there's, what, I think only one consensus All-American on the roster, and he's it. So... You, you know, you talk about a guy that had a great season two years ago who's gone against a, an Ohio State team that played for the national championship, you know, when he faced against them in the Big Ten title game and was part of really shutting down that offense better than anybody in the country did that year, including Alabama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had that great interception last year. I felt like he kind of tried to do too much. Number one, he had to prove he was an All-American. Number two, he didn't have Greg Newsom and some of those other defenders on the team, and he had to kind of step up and try to play outside of his game. They tried to use him more like Notre Dame used Kyle Hamilton when that's not really his game. He won't have to be that guy at Notre Dame. I think they're going to allow him to kind of play to his game, which is more coverage. He can, he's a good run defender, but he's not like the missile that Kyle Hamilton was. They're different players. This is a guy that can cover in the slot that can play over top of the defense that can be instinctive, can make checks, can do all the different things you need him to do play field, play boundary, play over the top, all that different, those different things. The reality is he's got to play like a star. Now we've heard, in the spring that he was a dude mm-hmm. i mean i had two different sources that don't know each other tell me he's like i swear i've been at every practice and that guy has at least a couple interceptions every practice <laughs> and i was like well that doesn't say a lot about the quarterback like, no you don't understand like he's just it's just how it's how well he's playing whether it's him being in the right spot on the tipped pass or him step in front of something or him baiting a quarterback you know all those different things that you want him to do that he's going to then be able to do to other teams quarterbacks and it's going to make the notre dame quarterbacks better because they're facing an all-American safety every day. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big part of it as well. So he's he's been that guy in practice. Now we need to see him step up and be that guy in games. And again, it's going to have to start in the opener against 
against Ohio State, but it can't just be him. The secondary needs to meet both him and Cam Hart to step up, and we're going to kind of dock in pairs today because, again, it, it just you can't win the big games. This is what we're talking about, right? It's, it's you can beat Stanford if only one of them plays above the good, right? Sure. You can beat nine out of the teams on your schedule, maybe ten. You know, but to beat Ohio State, to beat Clemson, to beat USC, if they're what people say they are, to beat Alabama, to beat Georgia, to beat those teams, Brandon Joseph and Cam Hart have to be dynamic and they have to be consistently dynamic if they're going to be that football team. And, you know, it makes things a lot easier if you get both of those kids playing to their potential this season. It's not it's not extremely difficult to avoid one player in the secondary, right? Because like you think of like a cornerback shutting down half the field, quote unquote, even though that's a little bit of hyperbole just by a natural sense. But if you have now two different players in the secondary that are playing on a elite all American type level in a Cam Hart and a Brandon Joseph potentially, then it's really hard to avoid that many guys, right? Two guys in the secondary, and then I mean at that point. Your other players are just are going to have a lot of opportunities. I think that's the biggest thing for me, Brian. Is like you're shutting down options, right? Like if Cam Hart's playing at his best at his best football, I don't expect him get to get tested too often. Like I don't expect the ball to go his way, but that just limits part of the field that a quarterback can take advantage of. If Brandon Joseph's on the back end and he is just making plays, ranging over top, working from depth, you know, intercepting passes, if he's doing that type of thing to that high of a level then you're also going to kind of be like, oh, I might need to avoid that part of the field as well. If you have two parts of the field, I mean, usually, I mean, <laughs> at some point, there's not much spots that you can go to. And if Notre Dame just has good players at the other spots, then this is a potentially elite, elite secondary for, for a position group, in my opinion, that has the most uncertainty to it in just kind of going into the year. There's a lot of people that I believe look at like the cornerback opposite of Cam Hart. And they say like, I'm still unsure about that player. The safety right. spot opposite of Brandon Joseph. I'm still unsure about that player. That could be. And in that first game, especially, I know we keep coming back to the Ohio state game, but with so many great pass catchers in that game, that's what has people worried. And mm-hmm. I get it. I totally understand it. So, but the, I think the point of it is Brian is that you have two guys that could potentially be difference makers in the secondary guys right. that can, turn the football over that can eliminate options for a passing attack. There was high upside in that secondary. And I think that people just have a little bit of a misnomer that there is not in that department. Right. You and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday. I think, again, I think a lot of it has to do understandably with the bowl game and, and people are going to have a hard time watching that game. Be like, yeah, this is a good secondary. Is it a great secondary? No, but it's a good secondary. And I understand it. I get it. I watched the same game you did. I was there in the stands right there with you, and it was bad. My my only thing is, is, but was that happening consistently? No, not really. And I think that's the thing that we have to figure out. Those guys got to play better, right? Clarence Lewis has got to play better. Tariq Bracey's got to play better. The, all the other safeties not named Brandon Joseph have to play better. Everybody's got to play better. Cam Hart's got to play better. But the point here is, is that, it takes the pressure off them again if Cam Hart and Brandon Joseph are playing to their level. And for Cam Hart, look, this the notion of like a lockdown corner it, it can be oftentimes misused, in my opinion. If you really understand like what a lockdown corner was like in my generation, it was literally Deion Sanders just was going to take a guy out of the game. I mean, just sorry, you're not going to catch a pass today unless I let you. 
you know, and, and that's, that's just the reality of it. that player. Th- those guys don't, those guys aren't, you just don't see that a whole lot. And so for me, when I, when I look at it, you still need to be able to have a guy though, that you can say, Hey, we, we feel like we can put this guy on that guy and he's going to win the battle. That guy's going to make his plays, but we're going to make it really hard on them for that guy to get his production. And that's what Cam Hart needs to be. And he wasn't last year, in my opinion. I don't know if there was the trust in him necessarily to say, hey, we're going to put you on so-and-so and and say, hey, man, we're trusting you to go win this battle. And I think that's where his game's got to grow. And and I think Cam, as as a, again, first year in the starting lineup, didn't play a lot of football at corner. I think it took him some time to kind of get that level. I mean, we we saw him, he was kind of he was kind of okay against Purdue, had some really good plays against Purdue and some really not great plays against Purdue, didn't play the ball great. I think the Wisconsin game was kind of the one he really broke out because he did make those plays and we saw an aggressive, a more aggressive Cam Hart the rest of the season, but also we saw Cam Hart that would be prone to lapses in consistency or focus, you sure. know, and, and just being able to answer that bell every single snap. Those are the things that you see from him. You say, okay, in year two, now that you have that experience, this is where we expect you to take your game. And that's kind of why I'm excited about Cam Hart this year, because from everything I've been told, you know, from all my different sources going back to beginning of the offseason, is the work is getting put in. I mean, he is really, he is motivated and hungry for a host of reasons this year. And so when you hear that, you're like, okay, take that now put it in the field to where you're you're more consistent with your ability to go out there and make plays and attack and be productive or to the point where you're just so good that teams are just like you know what we're we're not going to play him you know we're we're going to put and there's two ways to look at it one is like so Ohio State let's say Jackson Smith and Jigba still playing the slot again this year I think he's going to play more outside that's just my prediction uh, just on seeing the evolution of of how that offense could go what he he can do he can't play more in the slot than he did last year. It was like no. 90-something percent. So, no. <laughs> yeah. no. Uh, but I think he's going to play a decent amount more outside. But the, the two things you look at say, okay, well, what is your philosophy here in Notre Dame? Are you going to be in a situation, Ryan, where you say, hey, we're going to put Cam on Jackson Smith and Jigba and say, hey, man, go win that battle? Or do you say, hey, we're going to put you here and you're just going to take that part of the field away and then we'll handle Jackson with numbers? You know, I think – there's different ways to do it. Both work. I'm curious to see what Notre Dame is going to do, but that requires Cam Hart to be able to say, if you're going to get put on that number two guy, because it's like, we're going to put our number one on your number two and take your number two out of the game. And then we'll put these two on your number one and take him out of it. Right. And, and have success there. He's got to be able to do that. He's got to be able to say, dude, you're, you know, sorry, you're not, you're, you're beneath me. You know what I mean? Like you're not Jack Smith and Jake, but you have no chance against me. You know, so can he take Marvin Harrison out of the game? You know, can he take Emeka Egbuka, I think is how you say his name. I hope I'm not disrespecting him by saying his name incorrectly. Can he take him out of the game? You know, and, and those are the questions that he has. And then and then that then let Al Golden worry about Jackson Smith and Jigba. You know what I mean? And so that's going to be the key for Cam. That's where – I mean, if Isaiah Foskey has to take his game to another level, but it's going to be from like here to here. I think Cam has a chance to go from like here to here. That's and fair, that's yeah. going to be the key. And it's going to come down to consistency, the consistency aspect of it, right? Be the best version of what we saw last year. Because, again, with 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 Cam and with Jason, who I think are less established stars than Isaiah, mm-hmm. it's more about they were flashy. Isaiah was good, really good all season, like really good. Now mm-hmm. it's about become elite. 
That's the key for for Isaiah. With Jason and and Marist or with and Cam, it was you were really good last year at times. Yes. Now you need to be really good all the time, mm-hmm. and that's going to be the key for Cam. And that's what made Brandon Joseph so good in 2020, is he was just the same guy every game, in where he right where he needed to be, knew the defense, got to where he needed to get to, and it wasn't just the six interceptions; it was him jumping a dig route and just making the quarterback go somewhere else. Yes. You know, him 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 undercutting a corner route when the quarterback thought he's going to be able to throw it out on the flat and then, you know, he takes it away after the break because the reason that's important is if that guy, you know, if you kind of take it away early and that guy had before the break, that guy can see your move and he goes high. Or if you mm-hmm. stay high and then that guy sees your break, he's going to then go low. What what Brandon had a good a knack of in my opinion was kind of jumping it post break, which is really effective. And so if he can do those things, which I expect him to be, he's going to be really, really good. If you can then get Cam, then that makes it special. And if Notre Dame continues to leave Cam to the field, Ryan, yeah. the d- interesting thing is you're going to then have your two dudes at def- defensive back, for the most part, on opposite sides of the field, which sure. is interesting because my my thought is put Cam to the boundary and Brandon's sort of the boundary safety, although it's interchangeable. But then you have your four dudes on one side of the field, you know, and you can shut down that half of the field. And then, yeah. you know, you can then win with numbers to the other side of the field. And then we're, you could actually argue all five of your dudes are going to be on that side when we, we talk about Maris in a second. That's going to be the interesting decision. Or do you want to have dudes on both sides of the field? There's there's merit to both of those arguments, Ryan. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things I'm very curious to see from Al Golden this year and his staff is, they decide we're going to just take these five and completely shut down the, the, the this side of the field. And then we have an extra numbers over here, or are they going to want to maybe put at least one of those guys and, and it's easier to put cam there, you know, or do you put your three dudes? We're going to get to Maris in a second in the boundary. And then you put cam and Brandon both to the field. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and then you can use numbers on the back end to help your boundary guy. If you need to, there's a lot of different angles are going to go. But mm-hmm. the, at the end of the day, no matter what they decide to do, it, it's going to have to be done because we're trying to figure out as a staff how to best use, utilize our stars. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the key because, again, it requires them to play like stars. And I, the interesting part of that conversation for me, Brian, is like I am I'm usually a let's spread out the wealth a little bit, right? Like I don't want to put everybody on the same side of the field because then you're putting – the other half in some bad situations usually, right? But it, I think it really does depend on just how what the what the progress that guys like Riley Mills make, right? What the other safety position looks like, what the other cornerback spot. If those players are playing good football, then I am not against trying to just make a strength even stronger, right? Like I am I am fully on board with with that ideology. For me, just kind of backtracking the camp heart for a second, right? I agree with something that you said that it's like. Isaiah Foskey has a chance to go to from a really good football player to a great football player, right? Like there, there's a still a steady jump, but it is a significant jump. Mm-hmm. Cam Hart can go from a good football player to an elite football right. player. Like that's the type of jump. He has more progress to be made because like Isaiah, similarly, one-year starter at a position that's still foreign to him. You know, Isaiah obviously has been playing it a, a couple years longer than Cam has because, you know, Isaiah started playing defensive end as soon as he got to Notre Dame. Cam made that transition a little later, you know, into the sophomore year or whatever. But I think for me, Cam Hart last year 
I felt like when he trusts what he saw, and I think about that Wisconsin game, being able to like jump that inside breaking mm-hmm. route, when he trusted what he saw, he's really good, man, because he's long and he's super athletic and he moves incredibly well in short spaces for a guy as long as he is. But mm-hmm. the thing that I'm looking for for him, not even as much from a technical upside, because like, yeah, technique can always get better for sure. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's just him. I want him to be comfortable. If he starts feeling more and more comfortable and just trust his instincts, because I do think there's some natural instincts there. I really do. There's some times where I'm just like, he know he sees it. He sees it. That's you the only reason he was successful last year, Ryan. It's because he has a nat- he's athletic and he has a natural feel for the game. It wasn't because he was this seasoned grizzled vet who's been playing corner his whole life. I mean, he played corner yes. in high school, but he just he just was he would just line up and press man and just be like, I'm bigger and faster than you. I'm gonna beat you yeah, up. That's yeah. it. That was <laughs> right, it. Exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously, I'm sure the wide receiver background has kind of helped that instinctive nature of just trying to see like how things are going to develop in front of you and what's coming at you, and you know, you cut down your split, what's coming at you, you 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 open up your split a little bit. Like, there's a bunch of nuance to that conversation. But for me, if Cam Hart starts trusting himself, his abilities even more, then that's when we're talking about him being a great football player because everything is there, and there's more than enough natural instinct. It's just at times last year, I felt like he didn't trust what he was looking at all the time. If he does, then he has the potential to be that number one corner, right? Like mm-hmm. he has the opportunity to completely take it, well, maybe not completely take a guy out, but limit the impact of a star wide receiver. That's what he has. So I, I feel like I have a pretty good baseline of Brandon Joseph. Like I think Brandon Joseph is going to be very good, but I wouldn't say that his ceiling is amazingly high. Like I think he's right. going to be a really good college football player, obviously, because he has been already, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But Cam Hart, I think the best of Cam Hart could even be better than what Brandon Joseph is, right? So I'm just looking at him, and I'm just saying he is the real key for me because right. if Cam Hart plays to his upside, then you have the opportunity right. to take a guy out of the football game. You talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison, Emeka, Julian Fleming, all those guys, fantastic. But if you were able to t- eliminate one of that play- one of those players' productions and make it just two to three guys instead of three to four guys, that is a big, big opportunity in that football game specifically. So I'm most excited out of everyone that we're talking about today. I think I'm most excited to see the progress of Cam Hart because mm-hmm. I think that he has potentially the biggest boost in his outcome this right. year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to make a statement that I believe to be true, and you tell me if you agree or disagree with it. I believe that if they both reach their full potential this year, Cam Hart's the best defensive back on the team. Don't For two me. reasons, I think he's got more – I think he's more athletic, and that's not that's saying a lot because I, I think Brandon Joseph is 
good at. He was actually more athletic in the spring than I thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a he's a good athlete, but it's more about Cam. Is I I don't think Notre Dame fans understand just how smooth and fast Cam Hart is. And if you want evidence, go watch him. Just this is this is Kyle Hamilton. This was this was Cam Hart against Florida State, and that's how it ended. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like he smoked him. And we've heard consistently that Cam Hart's a legitimate four four guy. It, it, you know, it, when when the, in the testings that Notre Dame does. It's also that I just think he he's just a more dynamic all-around player when he's on. So I think if he can reach his full potential, he's their best defensive back. And if there's a scenario in which Brandon Joseph is not your best defensive back, you're going to have a really good secondary. There's no question about it. So agree yes. or disagree on that sentiment, Ryan. No, I agree 100%. I mean, I really I, – you know I love Brandon Joseph. Like, as minute, oh, yeah. the minute they got him, I'm like, oh, you te- I mean, I was in I was in Phoenix, just so – I was in Phoenix after the bowl game, and I'm down there with my dad and my nephew, and we're driving around. I can't remember where we're going. I think we're going to go-karts or something, and Ryan was like – this is right when Brandon Joseph announced he was he was in the portal, and Ryan says to me, says, like, I would love it if Notre Dame went after this guy. Yep. This guy's really good. And I was like, I'll have to, you know, check him out. And I mean, so, like, the minute he jumped in the portal, Ryan was like – Notre Dame's got to go after this guy. So yes, Ryan, you have definitely been on him before. You know, we knew that Notre Dame because my response was like, "Yeah, he's an undergrad. Uh, if is he an undergrad or is he a graduate? We weren't really sure because if he's an undergrad, right. it's not happening. You know, mm-hmm. but you know, it's like it's Northwestern, dude. How good could he be? You know, because I hadn't watched him a ton, so that was mm-hmm. kind of my my response to it. Uh, but yeah, Ryan's been riding the Brandon Joseph train from like the minute the minute he jumped in the portal. No last last preseason, I had him in a first round mock draft. Like to just kind of yeah. speak to how good I think he is. Like I really thought that he had a chance to go late first to early second round last year. Of course, he had a bit of an une- uneven season, right? Like he has to get back to playing within himself. And you mentioned that, right? Like not trying to do too much because I think when he is just he's kind of a Jetsy bait, Bates ish type of player. Mm-hmm. If you've seen him play for Cincinnati, like just let him play from depth man and just let his instincts take over Mm -hmm. he's going to be in the right spot more often than not he's going to make plays is he the most dynamic athlete of all time i would say no i think he's a smooth good Mm -hmm. athlete that's that's fine but to your point cam hart has some like some he's going to have and i know where he does kind of nfl nfl scouts are going to be drooling over him because he's Mm -hmm. legitimately six two plus with 32 plus inch arms and is going to run potentially in the four four so that is a height weight speed dynamo at the cornerback position so i agree 100 the best of cam hart i think can be a the a better player than brandon joseph maybe not a more impactful player because there is a difference there right there mm-hmm. is a difference because it's easier to avoid a cornerback than it is a safety sometimes you can kind of scheme safeties up, up a little bit more where like you can play robber coverages you can play different types of you know deep deep safety alignments you can do different things to kind of get safeties involved sometimes or at least roll him down close to the line of scrimmage, get him involved in the run game if you wanted to. But I really do think that Cam Hart has the upside of being one of the best corners in college football. And if he mm-hmm. is that, then Notre Dame's in a good spot. They're in a very good spot at that point. I was surprised at how sm- you had mentioned smooth, because when I watched Brandon on film last year, I thought he was a little tight. Like just this, and, and again, I think a lot of it was because his technique got away from him because he was just trying to do too much. That was the part about what I saw from him in the spring that surprised me, Ryan, was just how he's really – he's this because you said smooth. And when I first started watching film of Brandon in 2020 – because I went 2021 first, then went to 2020. 
I was like, this guy's a little tight. This guy's transitions aren't good. I mean, it just, I, I don't see like how this guy was an all American. Cause again, I think that he was playing out of position, so to speak. He was doing things that aren't necessarily the best parts of his game. And I also think he was trying too hard, which meant the technique got away. When I watched the 2020 version of him, I was like, this is a different kid. He was efficient with his technique. He was clean. He was smooth. Like you said, he was instinctive. And I think that's the part that I like. Cam is explosive. That's the difference. And, and so you hope, I hope that we're sitting here at the end of the season and we're having a conversation about who's better. I hope it's a conversation at that point in time. If it is, we're in a, we're, we're in a good situation. Notre Dame is in a very good situation if that is a legitimate conversation because we're talking about, I mean, again, Brand Joseph is a preseason All-American. People have right. high expectations for him, right? Right. And I feel like that's going to overlook the best parts of Cam Hart a little bit. Not many people are talking about Cam Hart, even though I can vouch for this, that the NFL likes Cam Hart. And I know we watched the film and we're like, at times, Cam Hart was a dynamic football player last mm-hmm. year. But putting it together fully this year is the big step. Because I think, again, I think I have more of an understanding of what I expect from a Brandon Joseph than I do from a Cam Hart. Cam Hart, Mm -hmm. I think, is going to be a good football player. But I think he has so much more upside, man. Like, I think his ceiling is truly the roof. And I I truly believe that with a Cam Hart. If you told me this time, and again, I know there's a difference between the best college football players and an NFL draft prospect. But this time, April, if you told me that Cam Hart was one of the top two or three corners off the board in the NFL draft, I would not doubt it because he has that type of upside in my opinion. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing just how good he can be this year. Let's bring it together before we move on to our final one. The final key is, is in the big games, they both have to, both combinations we talked about have to be on their game. And people want to know, why do you think Notre Dame actually has a chance to beat Ohio State at Ohio State? I was like, if I'm doing a prediction today, would I predict Ohio State to win? No. I mean, Notre Dame to win? No, probably not. I, I got to dive into some more film and, and hear how things are going for both teams in the spring. Are there any injuries? That's why I haven't made a prediction yet. But when I look at the, when I look at the two units, Ryan, that we discussed, that you start saying, okay, like, look, they have a front four that has a chance to be really disruptive and a back end that has – difference makers if they play like that against Ohio State they'll have a chance because remember the last time Brandon Joseph was on a field against Ohio State he was part of a defense that that had a a really good secondary but they were not an elite front four they were just really good try hard guys and Ohio State was able to eventually do enough to win but they held them to 22 points yep. and a big part of that was because they they did a pretty good job of of limiting the big plays Mm-hmm. from Ohio State and so Ohio State still got some yards in that game but Ohio State couldn't necessarily I think it was like 500 some yards only got 22 points because they limited the long touchdowns condensed the field and then they were able to force a bunch of field goals and I think Ohio State had what one or two missed field goals in that game if I remember correctly I think they had at least one or two uh, and then you had the Brandon Joseph interception in the end zone and that's the big thing and it was because that secondary was able to stop those plays you right. look at Notre Dame, and the difference is, is Notre Dame is way faster and way more dynamic in the front seven compared to that. That Northwestern secondary was really good. For sure. And you yep. saw how good Brandon Joseph could be when he had an elite corner that he could trust. Didn't have that last year. He should have that this year. And so 
if the secondary can play somewhat to the level that Northwestern's did two years ago, which is certainly possible in my they're opinion, more ta- they're, they're more talented than across the board. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Because Northwestern was great because they had two great players, Brandon mm-hmm. Joseph and Greg Newsom. Greg Newsom was what? A tall, long, instinctive corner that could run. Well, <laughs> remind you of anyone, Ryan? You know, and, and that then elevated the rest of the secondary who was not filled with NFL players. And and so, but the difference is, is the, the front's better. So if Notre Dame is going to have a chance against Ohio State, the back end and the front end have to both play great. That's going to be the key. And if they can get to that point against Ohio State, against Clemson, against USC, against Bama, against Georgia, that's how Notre Dame wins those games. That's how they keep the points down enough to let the offense go handle its business. So it can't just be the secondary plays great and the D-line doesn't get pressure because eventually they're going to pick you apart. It can't be that the front four plays great and the secondary's blowing coverage assignments, missing tackles, doing those type of things. They have to both play well. But the, the the thing that gives me confidence that Notre Dame should be in this game and have a chance to win is Notre Dame is not hoping to out-scheme Ohio State. Mm-mm. They have dudes that can match up against their dudes. 100%. 100%. That's the difference. Final piece of the puzzle, Ryan. Yep. When you look at the secondary, it's got the stars, right? Established star in Brandon Joseph, a guy that showed a lot of star potential last year in Cam Hart. Got to be more consistent. The front, established star in Isaiah Foskey. A guy that has flashed stardom in J- Jason Adamiola. Mm-hmm. The second level of defense does not have either one of those, in my opinion. You're kind of banking your hopes on a guy emerging who's got like 20-something career tackles, <laughs> right? And Maris yeah. Lewifau. But the reality is he's got star talent. And we saw it in the spring. We saw it in very limited flashes in 2020. What was funny about his 2020 season is there were snaps, Ryan, where you and I would both watch it. Not at the same, not we weren't doing it, but like you, you know the snaps I'm talking about. We were like, <laughs> "Wow, he had no clue where he was going on that play." <laughs> yeah, but man, he looked good doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he just has a, a an explosiveness, a range that you're just like, "Wow, he did the wrong thing there. He was supposed to run fit to B gap, and instead he he ran out here." But boy, he looked explosive getting out there. You know, and and uh, you just you just know the talents there. You can just see it. It just it screams at you on film, like dynamic. Yes. Well, last year was supposed to be that year, and he got hurt. Now it's his chance to shine, and Maris is that final piece of this puzzle in these big games because his his ability is so unique. He is the perfect linebacker for the Ohio States, for the USC's, the North Carolinas, the Alabamas, these teams that want to throw the football because he can cover in man because he's athletic. He's a really good zone defender when he's doing what he's supposed to do because he's super fast and he's long. Flexible too. Yes. Mm -hmm. And third is he can blitz. Mm -hmm. And he he makes him the perfect will linebacker for those type of teams. But will he be that on Saturdays? Big unknown. And I know we talked about in the breakouts, but if Marist can be that star, this this defense becomes a whole lot better. And for two reasons. Number one is there's not – it's asking a lot to ask all five of those dudes to be stars against anyone. Right. It just doesn't happen. I mean, I could point to championship games where – 
you know, the LSU, what was the receiver against LSU against Clemson didn't play well. There was one receiver for LSU that I thought really didn't have had a rough game in that title game. And I can't remember who it was, but it didn't matter because everybody else did. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody else played well. Somebody's going to have a rough game. Yeah. But if the more of those guys you have, then if Jason Adam is having a rough game, you can use Marist as a weapon to run stunt to maybe to maybe get Jason going. If mm-hmm. teams are doing a lot to take Isaiah out of the game pass rush wise, guess what? You say, fine, we'll just we'll bring Marist and, <laughs> and he can get after. Because one of the intel things we had last summer was, dude, our most dynamic pass rusher in fall camp was not Isaiah Foskey. It was Marist you know, until he got hurt. So if he can be that player, then he's got a chance to be a really dynamic second level guy. And it's that fifth potential star. And what that does is it widens your margin for error. Sure. And last year, if Isaiah or Kyle had an off game, it really hurt the defense. Mm -hmm. The more of these guys step up and play that way, the better chance you have to still be good, no matter if one of your guys is not necessarily having that game. And I think that's what makes Maris very important on top of the fact that he can just provide another playmaker to the second level of defense. Yeah. And I saw someone in the chat say something about like undermining JD Bertrand for having a hundred plus tackles. And someone said like Jack Kaiser is a really solid football player. I think that that kind of exemplifies that, right? Right. Like they're good football players. We're talking about guys that we think have difference making potential, right? Like that's the difference here for Maris Loyfow is he is a, Unknown commodity, but I will say this, Brian, the game that got me pumped up about Maris Loyfow, and I, we've talked about this several times, is the Alabama game. Like I talked right. about Jason Adam Alola, because yes, were there mistakes in that game from Maris? For sure. But the one thing that I came away from that football game was Maris was not out-athleted in that game. He was a good as athlete as anybody on Alabama as far as in the front seven in that game. Right. Like He could match the athleticism of a Najee Harris in that game. He could. So you're looking at that and you're like, if he has a increase in eye discipline and just reading his keys properly on top of the athleticism, the length and the flexibility and all that length that he has as a football player, then we're talking about a big time player, right? It's not about, it's not about, you know, the, we're not, we're not trying to, we're not trying to find the good football players on the defense. Cause there's a lot of good football players on this defense. There's a lot of guys that we can name that we would say are good to very good football players mm-hmm. outside of the players we're talking about today. But Maris Loifal is the type of player that like force fumble, scoop and score, pick six, right? Like right. that's the type of guy he has. Sack, big sack of play, you know, incredible closing speed. The difference making potential is why we included Maris Loifal into this. Now, 20-something career tackles, right? He's mm-hmm. no known commodity. But for two straight springs now, we have continued to hear the same things. This guy could be the breakout star. It unfortunately got delayed a year with the injury last spring, but I have big expectations for Maris Loifel. And mm-hmm. I, if he is what I think he is and what I believe you think he is, and I, what I think a lot of people think he is, then you now have a difference maker on all three levels, right. which is why this is so important. You know you have a couple dudes in the secondary potentially. You know you got a couple dudes up front. Nobody on the second level of this defense is for sure a difference maker right now. Right. If Maris can be that guy – then that just accentuates the strengths of right. a Jack Kaiser, a J.D. Bertrand, because then you could departmentalize and just ask them to do what you do best. Maris will be able to do so many different things well that you can do what you do, and you do it at a high level. And right. I think that's why that's what's going to make this the best, because if right. I think if I personally think if Maris Loifel is the best version of what we think he is, 
And that allows the other linebackers around you to kind of departmentalize their skills. And that that's the best part of it, in my opinion. Ryan, you know, for me, it's kind of like what kind of frustrates me sometimes is when you say something about one player and people read into that, that must mean you have a negative feeling about another player. Right. Not everybody's a star. Not everybody's a dynamic difference maker. That's true for everyone, including Alabama. You know, I I, I like to go, kind of go back and point out the, the 2009 Alabama season. And they had stars on that defense. Rolando McClain was a star. Mark Barron was a star. Kareem Jackson was a star, in my opinion. I don't think, in my opinion, that Javier Arenas was a star. He's a good player. Marcel Darius was a star that year. A little blast in the past. But you know what that defense also had? It had Eric Anders. It had Corey Reamer. It yeah. had it had um, Brandon Diedrich, Lorenzo Washington. Terrence wasn't Cody, Sun, Terrence Cody was a star Sun, on that team, too. Wasn't Sun Syria safety yeah. on that team, yeah. too? He was a yeah. solid football player. Yeah. Man. He was a good football player. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, like, like Diedrich, I think it was like a seventh-round pick. I don't think Lorenzo Washington got drafted. Eric Anders didn't get drafted. He was a two-star, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey Reamers didn't get drafted. I think half the starting defense on that Alabama team didn't get drafted, but they were really good, solid football players that did their job. And then the stars played like stars. That's the key. So saying this doesn't mean we think Jack Kaiser sucks. We don't. We've literally talked and said the opposite in recent shows, right? Same thing with J.D. Bertrand. We've said we think J.D. Bertrand is one of the more sort of disrespected players because there's assumption that he can't play, but he's not a star. And that's okay. Not everybody is. But the point is, when you have guys like Marist or Jason or Isaiah or or Cam or Brandon Joseph, and they play like stars, then it makes JD and Jack and Riley and Howard Cross and Clarence Lewis and Tariq Bracey and Houston Griffith and DJ Brown and Xavier Watts, Ramon Henderson, every other kid that we could go down the long list and name, it makes them better players. It helps their production improve, and it makes the defense as a whole improve. Everybody's got their different roles. And the key for the, the problem for Notre Dame in, in too many different years is, A, they didn't have the depth of those of those players. I think that's what made the 2018 starting lineup so good and front four so good is because you had good football players across the board. I think this has a chance to be their deepest starting lineup, 1-11, to 11, uh, 1-10. to 10. I still have question marks about the the second corner, right? I mean, Clarence has got to go show that he can be what I think you and I deep down think he has a chance to be, which is a good, solid player that you could should you should be able to do a better job of protecting with your scheme, okay? And putting him in position to let him play to his strengths, which, look, as great of a job as Marcus Freeman did last year, and I think part of it is because he didn't have any choice, they did not play Clarence Lewis to his strengths last year. They put mm-hmm. him in situations where they weren't asking him to do the things he does best. That's just that's just my opinion. Will Al Golden do that differently? I don't know. Because it wasn't necessarily because they didn't know. It's They had no choice in order to do the other things because there were too many holes in last year's defense because of a whole lot of different factors. Mm-hmm. And so if those guys play like stars, then you don't need those guys to necessarily do the things that they were asked to do last year. That's the point. And they didn't have guys. like So when things were not going well against Oklahoma State, you had Isaiah Foskey that did his best to kind of save the day, and we saw the strip sack, but there was nobody on the second level that could make the stop, stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. And J.D. had a chance, and he couldn't get it done. There was nobody on the, the third level, including Cam Hart, because they just avoided him. 
Yeah. Right. They could take him out of the game and there's nobody else could stop the bleeding. There will become times where you're going to have, you're going to be able to avoid Notre Dame star players, but mm-hmm. the more of these guys that step up, the harder that becomes hundred percent. That's the point. Yeah. And, and that's the key. And it puts those guys at a chance to be the other guys, a chance to be effective because now Jack Kaiser can just go do his job. Mm-hmm. And that's all Jack's got to worry about. And that's going to make him better. It's going to put J.D. Bertrand in position to just, just do your job. Howard Cross, Jacob Lacey, just do your job. You know, Riley Mills, just do your job. And then if they have the talent, then their games can take them to another level, but they don't have to be the guy. Hey, D.J. Brown, man, just do your job. Houston, Ramon, do your job. And that's the key. But if you just have 11 guys who are just solid players doing their job, you're going to be a pretty good defense, except when you mm-hmm. play the best teams. That's fair. Then you're going to get exposed. Mm-hmm. and that's going to be the key. And that's why the Stars got to play like Stars at the end of the day. 100%. Right? So it's not five Stars and six bums. That's not what we're saying, right? right. If, if you if you have players that are playing like Stars to that number, then you're just eliminating options for an offense, right? And that is right. the biggest thing that you can do against some offensive coordinators. Offensive coordinators like to have options, right? Like they like to have the, quote-unquote, the playbook fully open, right? Like they want to be able to just kind of pick and say, like, that's going to work, this is going to work, this is going to work. If you now have players that are taking certain things out of your playbook entirely, then you're limiting an offense. And mm-hmm. against against teams like Ohio State, maybe USC, uh, maybe Clemson, we'll see what happens. I don't know what to expect with the, of them offensively, but the point of the matter is that to play against the really good teams that have those types of offenses, eliminating possibilities for them is the biggest thing, and that's what this defense has the chance to do, in my opinion. I think that they have that type of upside. They have to do it. But mm-hmm. the talent is there is the point of this podcast. That's going to do it for this portion of the podcast. We're going to have a mailbag next, so stay around. Don't go anywhere. We're going to go right to the mailbag. Uh, as soon as we remind you to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, uh, and, and make sure that tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time, the IB Nation Sports Talk Show will be back. We'll have more fall camp discussion. There was no practice availability today. So there will be no practice from today to discuss, but they will continue talking about things. It will be Sean and Vince again. I uh, want to congratulate my guy, Vince. He normally watches this show when he's not on. Vince uh, was able to share some big, big personal news yesterday. Uh, he was uh, named the dean of one of the dean of students at Penn High School, which is the preeminent public school in this area. It's a great school. It's the school district that his kids also go to. So super, super happy for Vince. And uh, it's something he's wanted to be at Penn for a while. And it was hard for him to leave Riley, but uh, super happy for him. And I know how excited he was. I know when I he called, uh, he called me the day he got it, and I just man, I just couldn't be more happy for him. So I want to say congratulations, events, uh, congratulations to uh, to him and his family, and we're happy for him. It's gonna it's gonna change some things for our podcast this season, uh, but it actually is going to end up fitting in really well. But Vince will be well, Vince is still going to be a part of what we're doing. It's just going to be his th- his deal is going to be more. He's not going to be on the day afternoon shows anymore, which we've kind of already told you. We were kind of going to go away from anyway, but Vince is not going anywhere. I've had some people ask us, does this mean Vince isn't going to be with Irish Breakdown? No, Vince has always been a teacher. That hasn't changed. He's just going to be teaching at a a, a better school, uh, you know, in a, in a better situation for his family. Because, you know, when he's driving to school, his kids are going to be going to the same school. So it's uh, it's good for him. But Vince will still be on with us in the fall. Him and Sean uh, are kind of talking about what they're going to be doing on their, their night shows. He'll still be a part of our uh, Saturday. He's going to be doing the college game day. Uh, on on Saturdays from 10 to noon with Sean. 
which we'll be guest hosts on from time to time, have our little guest spots. He'll still be doing the post-game show. And, of course, he and I will still be doing the Sunday night uh, upon further review. So you're definitely going to get a lot more variety this year on the show than you did last year. It's not just going to be me and Vince all the time. So we're going to definitely have a lot more variety, which I'm super, super excited about. So very, very happy for uh, for our guy, Vince. Everybody right now, go tweet at Vince and, say, and call him the Dean. Say congrats to the Dean. Everybody blow his, blow his mentions up right now, please. There yeah, there you go. So that's going to do it for this portion of the show, everybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.